Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. This episode of The Ringer F1 Show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. ArmorAll, chosen by champions. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined by Spanners. Max Verstappen wins at Monza. He can now clinch at Singapore with a little luck. The European season is over in F1. And so, too, in a weird way, is the F1 season just about. Spanners, what's going on, buddy? It's all right, man. I just want to make clear, Kevin, that I want to avoid controversy and conspiracies this week. A whole new a change of tack, a new personality from me. I'm a, man of, I'm a man of the people. I listen. It's a new spanners. This week, it's all about who had the most fun. So it's going to be just an hour of talking about Nick DeFries. But I suppose, I suppose if you were, you know, to press me, I know there's people out there who are saying, well, what about the safety car finish? What does that mean to a large chunk of the F1 fan community? I'm not interested, Kevin. It's too no. spicy. It's too spicy. People are just waiting for me to say, oh, is, is this an insult to all the arguments made in defense of Abu Dhabi 2021? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, where's the consistency? But no, you won't get a peep from me unless you ask later. We, we will no longer be uh, addressing any sort of, of controversy in F1. <laughs> per, okay. per the people, per people in our Twitter mentions, we're only going to be doing uh, rear wing talk. Um, we're just uh, pit strategy and all that, and and non Ferrari pit strategy, just the just the the literal nuts and bolts, and and liveries and the yes. overpants, the overpants that people are wearing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Anything else, anything else <laughs> could could veer into controversy, and that's not something that we want. I'm with you, KC. L- let me know what you want to talk about. Let's go. Good race, actually, for Monza. I enjoyed that. Well, for Monza, because it's a chicane, and you hate chicanes. Chicanes are pointless, and I was immediately validated. Uh, on the first lap and all throughout. In fact, Kevin Magnuson did a one-man demonstration of why chicanes are terrible for racing. (laughs) I I don't think he made that chicane once. And it's really messy with the coming back on track. If you've just got a normal corner that's good for overtaking, a normal 90-degree corner, and you miss it or you go wide or you lock up, you just go off a little bit and it's clear, like you fall behind the car that you're racing with. With chicanes, they have to like do a little dummy racetrack or bounce over a curb. Always messy. George Russell went into the chicane and just went right through it because he got pushed off and went wide on the, on the first oh, turn. I immediately thought about you. I immediately no. thought about you and said, man, if there was the, the, if the Spanner's wall was there, this would be a much more interesting race. <laughs> that was a really interesting one. So we do have to get to that turn one thing between Russell and what's it? 
<laughs> so uh, we will get to the controversy. People in their replies are already sick, already sick in our Twitter replies right now. Uh. But the fact that we will maybe even harp on the on the controversy of the day, which is uh, the the race ending under a safety car. A couple more people saying, you know what, NASCAR has the right idea with NASCAR overtime. I don't know. This is two weeks in a row where where, where something NASCAR-y stood out. It's, it's America. It's America's new pastime is uh, is is wistfully looking for for NASCAR rules. Um, Spanners, where do we start? Let's go ahead and talk about Max Verstappen. Um, he's gonna clinch in the next couple of races. Could be in Singapore uh, if he if there's a dominant uh, you know sprint performance and then then the regular performance and, and there's there's a little bit of luck with Ferrari, which they're all, by the way he has gotten quite a bit. Um, what'd you think about his drive today before we start getting into it? So obviously like the drive today is in context of having like a massively dominant car and that's nothing against yep. Verstappen. This does, this does happen. And, you know, I, I have said in the past with Lewis Hamilton that it was undervalued how much he put into that being a dominant car. And when you suddenly have good cars in a variety of teams, that says you're either good enough to be hired by the best teams or you have a way of bringing a team around you and that you're a good driver for engineers to develop a team around. I think Verstappen has taken Red Bull and has given them something solid to build on. But they are now at the point that Mercedes were at in 2014, 2015. And I almost kind of get the feeling that they're just a tiny bit conscious of it. Not, not embarrassed, mm -hmm. but I do remember Mercedes in 2014, 2015, they would hold back upgrades until it was entirely necessary. And then they would pull something out of the drawer to make sure they had that gap. Sebastian Vettel in 2013 with that Red Bull would pull a pit stops gap and then stop. <laughs> he could easily have pulled away. And then uh, Lewis Hamilton in that kind of dominant 2019-2020 era, era as well, he would basically pull a, a VSC gap, like 10, 11 seconds. So I've got mm -hmm. the feeling that Red Bull now, they're kind of keeping their powder dry. So when Leclerc pitted to go, right, I'm going to go onto the softs, I'm going to chase down the lead. It was a really good call. I thought, that's a good strategy call from, from, from Ferrari. But then Verstappen on old mediums, invalidated everybody watching mm -hmm. their live timing data by just going, oh, we can, act. <laughs> let's just go, let's just go at the proper pace. And let's also make sure that we can have a buffer for safety cars, pit stops, etc. So Red Bull do have a, a massive, massive car advantage. They were hiding it slightly during the race once it was clear that they were ahead. So what can you say about Verstappen? He kept it on the track, but that's, that's not anything to take away from his performance today. But we can't have hyperbole and say hyperbole, hyperbole, yeah. and say, ah, oh, he, he finished 30 seconds ahead because he's a god of racing. He's very well, good. Uh, yes, and he's, but yeah. it's, a, it's a team thing for me. And yes. the fact that he's able to start anywhere on the grid and win the race, uh, it's hard mode, right? It's like going and <laughs> playing a video game, putting in a hard mode and doing whatever. Like you play these games sometimes, it'd be different. Oh, it's different scenarios. Can you win if you start, yeah. you know, with what, what I mean, usually it's a harder situation um, yeah. than, than, than this week. But last week we saw it, right? Having said that, like I, I just think we should we should appreciate Absolutely. what Red Bull has done this week yep. because excuse me this year because we keep qualifying everybody everybody who's not basically a Red Bull fanboy has had some pushback this year and saying well the Ferrari had only done the right decision strategically oh if Merck had settled their issues well they didn't they didn't and Red Bull did and. I think that we've forgotten. It's all been so impressive that we've forgotten that Red Bull had reliability issues that we thought were going to cost did, yeah. them this season in the first month of, of the year. We all, I think we both thought that. 
Okay. Yeah, and, and even so, if even if Ferrari hadn't made those mistakes, we'd still be here going. Actually, Red Bull got this. Yes, exactly. Um, so for me, I look at this and I say, this is one of the most impressive seasons I, I you know, I've studied mm. in the last. You know, I've only watched the F one for six years now. I think it is. Um, but. I certainly have gone back in the history of the sport and there's a lot of impressive team performances, but the fact that they had the problems that they had, I think they, they've been so good this year. We've forgotten they overcame something whereas Ferrari and Merck did not. Okay. Yeah. And that is, as, that makes this incredibly impressive when they start breaking these records. If Max clinches in freaking Singapore in October, like mm. the only reason he's not going to clinch September is because there's not another race in the rest of the month. Okay. That's how dominant, this is going to be, and I just can't, I, I think we need to switch into Red Bull praise mode a little bit as a, as a pundit class. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit Schumacher-y, isn't it, this season? But I'm glad you did the computer game comparison because my first thought when you got the penalty and he ended up finishing seventh, I looked at the grid and no offence to these drivers, but I went, oh, he's around an awful lot of NPCs here, isn't he? Like he's got Gasly around, him, he's got Norris. <laughs> you know, people who aren't really going to feature in his race, the likes of Perez, Sainz and Hamilton, who might have given him a bit of a, a little bit of a roadblock, were all behind him. But they, they definitely, uh, they're on easy mode. But they earned it, and uh, and that's yes. both. That's team, driver, st- strategists, whatever. And if they do clinch it in Singapore, it's, it is probably an appropriate reflection of how the driver has done, how the strategy team has done, how the development team has done, and how the management has done. Because so much comes into play, like when did they focus on 2022? When did they turn their attention to it? How did they manage their budget cap? How did they overcome those early season reliability issues? So yes, don't worry. There's no lack of praise from me. Okay, um, let's get into the safety car. Uh, you called it the safety car lottery <laughs> when we were talking offline. Yeah. Christian Horner came out. I really do believe Christian Horner said he wishes it hadn't ended under the safety car. Obviously, uh, there's only, I think I saw a quote from Lewis saying, only one time has that rule been changed. Um, so I understand it. And I think we know what that is. Uh, uh, I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a, uh, there's a little bit of a, a, a Michael Massey was right, Thanos was right overlap here um, as far as we're all complaining about this ending under a safety car. We wanted to go motor racing, Spanners. It's called a car race. It's Let's called go a motor, motor racing. It's called a motor race, Kev. It's called a motor race. So to be clear, this was fine. This was fine. Yes. Safety's yes. important in F1. There was an obstruction on the track. Someone's only got to put, dip a tire in Lesmos 1 in that first right-hander, spin across the track, and you hit a, a car, uh, you hit a marshal, you hit equipment. So I'm, I've got absolutely no problem with that. And if an event like that happens towards the end of the race, it should finish after under the safety car. It's, it's always mm-hmm. happened like that. I've been watching since the 80s, and that always happens. It's perfectly normal. But where people are going to get upset is, is that that didn't happen last time. And it wasn't just that it didn't happen in Abu Dhabi. It was the justifications for why it didn't happen. There was loads of reasons given. It was the timings. It was uh, the sport. It was, I was told a lot by people, it cannot finish under the safety car. That's unacceptable. So to me, as someone watching from the 80s, I was like, well, it's always been acceptable to me. But I speak to fans in America and they said, no, finishing under the safety car for a championship decider would have been terrible. And I go, oh, okay, right. I respect that. If that is the new way that we're going forward, that finishing under a safety car just isn't good enough for the show, I appreciate that. The, the world changes. The world moves on. And I even started thinking about, okay, how would I prefer it to finish? 
I don't want it to finish under an arbitrary red flag mm-hmm. and then and then they have like a three or four lap sprint like they did in Baku last year. I hate that. That's like kids going, oh, okay, ne- it, uh, lunch is ready, so it's next goal wins, next goal wins. What do you mean next goal wins? I'm 19, <laughs> I'm 19 three up on goals. No, no, next goal wins, pick up the jumpers, let's go in for tea. So I don't like that red flag rule. You know, I, I would suggest, okay, Let's have five laps of safety car fuel. And if there's no safety car within X laps of the end of the race, you need to pass scrutineering by having that fuel. If there is a safety car, then they can all just trundle around. You manage your tyre temps as normal and then you continue the race. So I was happy to accept that paradigm that Mm -hmm. everyone said, you cannot finish under a safety car. So when Ricardo had his little thing and he was off on the side and the safety car came out, I was fully confident having changed my entire philosophy from the last 30 years of watching motorsport, that <laughs> I was so confident this race will not finish under a safety car because I have been assured that it is not acceptable to finish under a safety car. And then it it does in a perfectly normal and reasonable way. Verstappen was winning that race by a long way. The result wasn't really changed. So in, in essence, there's no problem. But clearly, there's a very recent and compelling comparison to Abu Dhabi. And I think that's why a lot of people out there are feeling triggered. I'm neutral, so, you know, I don't mind either way. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to change the rule, change the rule. I, I yeah. understand why they did this today. Uh, Ted Kravitz said there's some meeting among FIA folks tomorrow or maybe this comes up, but I don't know how you would change it. I don't think you go to yeah. the NASCAR overtime kind of gimmicky thing. I just think if this happens, this happens. And I'm not yes. I'm not going to get up, been, up, been out of shape about it because it only happens... Once in a blue moon, I'm yeah, and, and it, also it was a mistake. Yeah. They, I mean, like they, they got the wrong car. Like this was, this was. There were a million things had to happen for this to happen. Also, also as Ted Kravitz said, with what five laps to go, six laps to go, mm. Leclerc was catching. We'll put it in, in air quotes. Catching Verstappen yes, at, at at one tenth of a second per lap. <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't going to be enough. So it didn't. It, it didn't matter. Okay, but what what about when it does matter? Sure. So well, if, we had if, that. We had yeah. that. Yeah, well, we, well, we didn't really, because in Abu Dhabi, like, Hamilton was clear. Like, he was, he was just waltzing away. And so, you know, people were using that as a justification today. Well, it didn't change the result. Verstappen was going to win. Yeah, well, Hamilton was going to win in Abu Dhabi as well. So, uh, to be completely consistent, I, I think today is the correct way to do it. So, yes. let's just make sure that going forward, we know that Grand Prix can sometimes finish under a safety car. And, like, all the years I've been watching F1 is if when a late, late safety car comes up, you just go, ah, well, that's it. You know, that's the end of the race. Yeah, that's an yes. exciting thing in itself. It never robs you of half the race. It's always the last few laps. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and, and the idea, like, okay, what happens when it does matter? Like my advice to you is to be leading the race. Like that's my, <laughs> that's my clinical yeah. advice to you is be leading the race. I would say as well, it's, cl- it's clear that everybody knows what's happening. So clearly at Abu Dhabi, people made decisions based on a, a, a status quo. Whereas today, actually, I think people were pitting assuming the race was going to get going. So I think a lot of people were thinking like I was thinking, which is we've kind of set a precedent now that we get the race going as quickly as we can. So Verstappen pitted for stops. Uh, Russell, I think somehow was the first one to pit for softs. Yep. And they went around again and there was no safety car. Um, and then and Leclerc. So the front three all had new tyres on, all expecting to go racing. Um, so yeah, I think as long as everybody knows what's going to happen, but I don't think everyone does. Uh, agree and agree. Uh, Nick DeVries <gasps> in the points yes. for his first ever F1 race. He was on afterwards. I was watching his, his post-race press conference and he said <laughs> that he wasn't 
fit enough. I don't know if you saw this. He said he needs to get yeah, in the yeah. gym. He, he said on the radio that his, his shoulders were mush. Apparently, that happened after the safety car. He must have been just going on adrenaline. But you think about what he does, how much more travel he has to do than the other drivers because he's not full-time. Yeah. Um, how much? How many different cars he's in over the course of the year. It, it stands to reason he can't sit there like Carlos signs and just do neck exercises all the time. Like he's, he's a little busier than that. So if he's on a full-time F1 schedule... You, you might see even even better improvement. This says a lot about Williams. Uh, this says a lot about Nick DeVries, who clearly, I would say, clearly deserves a seat. Having said that, I want to ask you a question. You know far more than me. If you were to put a, a bunch of F2, F3, Formula E drivers kind of thing in that seat today, like how many of them would get points? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the right question. It's the right question. How many of them would look amazing on a Saturday? Look, look at the Mr. Saturdays we've had. George Russell, George Russell, Alexander Albon and yeah. Nick DeFries all suddenly Mr. Saturday, all looking amazing. And this is a deep problem with, with Williams. I'll get to that in a second, but we do have to get, give Nick DeFries his, his props. It was so humanizing when he talked about amazing. his shoulders aching. Wasn't it? it was like, he could have been like, nah, I'm fine. I'm fine. But no. Fair play. You were not prepared physically. The other, the other humanizing thing he said, which was that his dad, I guess, I guess Nick DeVries, even, even, even the backup drivers live in Monaco. And so Nick DeVries has his place in Monaco. <laughs> his dad was staying yeah. there, drove down immediately, borrowed someone's car to drive down to Monza. And he said before the race, he saw his dad and they couldn't even talk. And they just started crying. He just started crying. His dad started Aww. crying. And then he just, had to, he just had to leave and they couldn't yeah. even verbalize anything, which is just so touching and so beautiful and just shows you, even though we think of these guys as gods and, and sort of alpha males and all that stuff, there still is. These are humans who are accomplishing their goals all the time. Nick DeFries is what, 27? Mm-hmm. 27. So for an athlete, that is like this, you know, it's, this, it's the later stage of your career. It's not like Norris or Verstappen where it's come early and they're sort of used to it. For DeFries, to suddenly get back into F1, he must have thought that that shepherd had sailed a little bit. And so at 27, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean a lot more. It feels a lot more like a, a comeback tour, but uh, it's not like a comeback, like a phoenix from the flames. But if you're Williams, I don't know the contractual situations, but for the rest of the season, why on earth would you not just switch the two now? Yeah. An, an unconditioned, unprepared Missing out on free practice, Nick DeFries, who's never raced a Formula One car before and was driving in a different F1 car for FP1, jumps in, does better than your extant driver for uh, qualifying and performs better in the race. And actually performs with uh, quite a lot of, um, of uh, what do you call it, headspace. With, um, yep. he, he was aware, he was being tactical, he stayed in the toe, he was on it. I think the only thing he really did wrong all weekend was a a lockup in Q in Q two, and that mm-hmm. was you know you can just see oh you, it was quite a rare thing like I've not seen an F one driver going into a turn like that and lock the rears as much as as he did on that final run. So you go well okay that's just a little bit of lacking of uh, match fitness perhaps, but yet he was so much stronger than Latifi. I don't know how much Latifi is paid. I think that's a lie. I think it's reported at twenty million euros for that seat. But what price for the rest of the season? So how, whatever you've got to pay Latifi, pay it. It's outside the budget cap. Pay it. Get Nick DeFries in. We've got to get to a point <laughs> where pay drivers just don't exist. And I thought the whole point yeah. of this Williams new ownership and new investment is you wouldn't have to have a guy It like might Latifi. be. Yeah. It might be. And I think they've inherited a situation to a certain extent. And yes. this is what I was alluding to earlier. I used to have big arguments when they had Stroll and Sorokin 
because, yeah, Stroll's a little bit more on pace now. But at the time, you had Stroll and Sorokin, neither of whom really merited a place on the F1 grid. But when you've got both drivers like that, people were saying, oh, this Williams is terrible. And people got used to saying, the Williams is terrible. It's out in Q1 every single time. And I was arguing with people, I was saying, if you look at the deficit between the pay drivers we've got on the grid and the top drivers... That is probably a Q2 car, comfortably a Q2 car. Mm -hmm. And then George Russell is the main beneficiary of that because everyone was like, look how amazing he's doing. In a Williams, in a <laughs> Williams of all things. And Williams just had this awful reputation from having pay driver after pay driver. And then, and then you know, obviously, unfortunate with the Robert Kubica's situation there clearly wasn't uh, you mm -hmm. know at the top of his 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 initial potential but maybe we need to just shake this off it's not a car problem they've not sat there with a team of terrible designers it's not an awful team they've had a bad driver policy and they're going to do so much better <laughs> if they've got albon and a t and the freeze for the rest of the season you'll suddenly go here's a pretty good midfield team just behind the best of the rest but they got to wave their their stringent policy of having one terrible driver every yeah. year. We got, yeah. we got to move yeah. off of it. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. Armor All, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. You want to talk about the tactics between Leclerc and Verstappen? Uh, it was interesting. Obviously, in the end, it was sort of muted, A, by the safety car and the fact that, <laughs> the fact that Verstappen could just pull away at, at will. But it was it's an interesting thing to look at for the future when Leclerc had his opportunity for a quote-unquote free or cheap pit stop under the virtual mm -hmm. safety car. And, and this was um, an interesting one to note because my first thought was, well, it's not in their normal pit tactic window. So how much of an advantage is it? And actually, he was quite lucky because the green flag came out just after he finished. So the advantage is that under a virtual safety car, Max Verstappen is having to go quite slowly, driving to pre-descript sector times, and it tells him mm -hmm. on his dash, you can't get to this next post until 
now. So he has to go slowly. Therefore, he's getting away less when Leclerc goes in for his pit stop. However, it was quite early in his soft tyre run. I can't remember exactly how much further Verstappen went, but Leclerc would have been saving those soft tyres. So from the Mm -hmm. beginning of the race, he'd have been thinking, right, I need to preserve these because I need to get to lap X. Now the VSC comes out and it's X minus, I don't know, say eight. And then they make the snap decision to go and pit. But they can't go back in time. If they'd known they were pitting at X minus eight, they would have been pushing and doing faster lap times. So mm-hmm. what was it a benefit at all to go and take that cheap pit stop? Probably not overall, but they had to do something because I think they could sense, oh, actually, Red Bull are immense. And they've all probably got a little bit of um, yeah PTSD from the last four or five races. The shock and awe of what Red Bull have been doing is probably in everybody's head now. So they're thinking, we've got to just do something. We can't, we can't just race them. We mustn't get involved in a race car race. We've got to do something. There's a slight advantage. Let's take it. But yeah, it's interesting to note, you know, when it's a closer battle, should they leave their normal pit window to take advantage of these safety cars, virtual safety cars? I like that Bonotto after the race had to field whether or not, the question of whether or not Ferrari still has a strategy from the pit wall or whether or not Leclerc is just making the decisions. And Oof. he said, whoa, we had to say, Are you like, going to do an impression? <gasps> No, Casey's no, I'm not. I'm not. No, I. Well, I started to do it, and then I realized it was going to be my Arsene Wenger. <laughs> okay, I good. can only do one continental European, and it's Arsene Wenger, okay. and I will not be doing it. I can't do it. I can't do Italian. I'll workshop it. We'll try it. We have a we have a couple week break. We have a couple week break going okay, until come next back. next Sunday right, show. Cool. I'll work on it. It's one. I'll get in the sim. I will yep. get in the sim. Do some laps <laughs> with that particular. <laughs> Yeah, the simulator, like it makes sure you do the right hand yeah. gestures yep. at the same time as well. But yeah. anyway, go on. Yeah, Bonotto was saying, sorry. And, and and he basically said it's to their advantage that they would ask their driver for for strategy, which I agree. The best the best option would be have an awesome strategist. The mm. second best option is to ask your driver what he wants to do. Yeah, and you could say it was confirmatory, and I would sort of buy that. Have we not heard all the radio messages from the last few races? I think it is clear that they are they're driving with, oh sorry, they're strategizing with a little bit of fear. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. a free forming, uh, you know, uh, team that ca- that is free to make mistakes. Therefore, they have to do checks, they have to do balances, and I think that is going to inhibit you if you're a not trusted to make a snap decision without the driver to just go. Charles, box, trust me, I've got this. And if it doesn't work out, you're then in a no-blame environment where you just talk through why that happened. If you're not in that environment, you can see why they are double-checking and triple-checking. And I don't quite buy Bonotto's explanation. It feels like a symptom of something else that's happening at the team. It's, cope. it's coping, as we say. Mm. It's coping and just saying, here's, here's why what we're doing is good. And it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, all right, let's talk about the best of the rest or the worst of the rest. I was surprised reading the interview. I think it was on the race on Saturday about how pessimistic Lando Norris gotten about the McLaren car. Um, and I, it was, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because he's always, he's always sizing up the grid in a very uh, global way. Uh, and he, I think he said that there's six cars faster than every single weekend. Danny Rick himself said, I think you're being pessimistic in the interview. I guess they were being interviewed together. Um, but it remains true. Uh, McLaren just doesn't seem to have it right now. So if you look at Lando Norris's batch, like his high school graduation, his F2 graduation, he graduated with George Russell, with mm-hmm. 
Alex Albon, and who else mm-hmm. was part of that? Was Leclerc part of that? I can't remember now. But I anyway, think so he, around that same yeah. time, yeah. So he graduated with like this real good bunch of of drivers, and he would rate himself as obviously being really good. And if you look at his performances, he looks like he's the real deal. And then McLaren yeah. would have seemed Se- like seventh a really, today. Yeah, and, and McLaren would have seemed like a real good deal into F one. But look what he's had to watch. You know, Leclerc at Ferrari getting his opportunities there looking great against uh, the likes of Sebastian Vettel, getting race wins. Albon has had opportunities to get on the podium right up there with the top teams. George Russell now, of course, consistently podiuming him, uh, podiuming. And he references it all the time in his interviews, you know, talking about his mates and how well they're doing. And his car, his drive has kind of been frustratingly on the edge of getting those consistent podiums, of getting the win. And then he had a chance at a win, what was it, in, in Istanbul? last year and he made this, this, the wrong call to stay out. So you can sense that frustration starting to come through because they are kind of in the balance with Alpine now. And he doesn't want to be in the balance with Alpine. He wants to be nibbling at George Russell's heel. So I, I can see that frustration coming through. If you listen to the interviews and who he references, it's very clear that he's, he's not happy. I'm using a new train station because we're moving. A new train uh, station called Grand Central, which is uh, 20 blocks north of, of or 10, 10 blocks north of, of uh, Penn Station. And uh, there's a huge, huge ad featuring Lando Norris. It's like a luggage, it's a <laughs> luggage ad, and it doesn't identify Lando Norris. It's the strangest thing. He's like an international celebrity, even though he's like, <laughs> You know, that's, that's F1 in America. You can finish so, seventh routinely and you can be a massive superstar. This, this nice is mad. Like how, how old is Lando Norris? He's like tw- early 20s still, isn't he? He's still early 20s. I was speaking to a young colleague of mine who was freaking out about not having found the 22. one. 22. Yeah, not having found the one. And they're like mid to early 20s. And I, I keep saying to them like, okay, if I could say anything to young Spanners going back into my 20s, I'd say, stop freaking out. Enjoy being single. Enjoy being pressure-free. The one for you is just around the corner, and it is for most people. And I kind of want to say that to Lando Norris. Like, don't freak out about the title now just because Verstappen, who he's friends with, stepped into a title role, and mm-hmm. Russell into a you know a, a top-end team, and, and Albon with the opportunities with Red Bull. It doesn't mean your opportunity isn't just around the corner. You, can, you could relax. You could enjoy this time as a handsome, rich racing driver celebrity who's already a celebrity finishing seventh yep. but you can feel that frustration building just be there he no one thinks russell uh, so, thinks norris is in danger of being kicked out of f1 he's in the game his stock is so high in one or two years he's either going to find himself in a team that pops up to the top or one of the top teams is going to want him so long as he seems like someone you can work with and it's just it's just that frustration of of youth coming through but he could be driving for Another 18, 20 years. Look at Alonso. Yes. He's 50, 57 years old and still pushing. <laughs> 94 94 years old. Years old. Um, Ferrari wearing yellow. Disgusting. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's horrible. I don't know. So I'm not one who cares really about liveries at all. Like everyone could just, you know, dress in a Hessian sack as far as I'm concerned. So it takes a lot for me to look at a livery and go, that's gross. But yeah. The, Fer- the Ferrari kit, the bright offensive yellow was horrible. But the other thing was they had teased everyone that there was going to be this amazing yellow livery and some yellow Ferraris looked great. But instead, they kind of did like a hashy, tartany type thing on the back. Massive disappointment, massive fail. They deserved to lose just for the livery. Toto, after <laughs> the race, was asked if he thinks Mercedes is going to finish second 
in the Constructors' Championship. The gap is now, I believe, 35 points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the gap between one and two is 140 Bigger. points. 139 <laughs> yeah. points. Yeah. Handicap this for us. What what needs to go right for Mercedes to jump Ferrari in the, during the, the Asian slash North American, South American swing? What needs to go right for Mercedes? Mercedes, yes. So to a certain extent, I think you can rely on Ferrari to, to drop, drop the ball. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, put it this way. Who is maximizing the results better from the baseline car they have, Mercedes or, or Ferrari? It's Mercedes. So Mercedes mm-hmm. are functioning as the better team at the moment. And if they've kind of caught up a little bit on pace, which it looks like they have, I don't think it's going to get too much better. Lewis Hamilton made a comment along the lines of, we know, we know what the problem is now, but we can't fix it in season. So they are looking towards next season now. 35 points is, is nothing really. I mean, it's a, couple of, it's a couple of pit stop fluffs and a DNF, mm-hmm. isn't it? Isn't it? So just, just wait confident. around for it. If Mercedes care, and I'm sure they do because there's money involved and people, ooh, they love their money, those F1 teams, you'd have to bet. You'd have to bet on Mercedes overcoming that because they've got two good drivers who are being very consistent. Both Mercedes drivers driving well at the moment. Uh, both Ferrari drivers well, but with errors. So yeah, I'm going to bet on Mercedes. What about you? Mercedes? I'm going to guess Ferrari. Why? Why? Justify that. They have you a gap. Just... They have a gap. They have a gap right now. They have the advantage. As I said, my, my advice to everybody is to lead. Um, <laughs> I don't... I, I, I'm going to regret saying this. I don't think it can get much worse for Ferrari. I think they, I do think they have a better car. Yeah. And I don't, I think that, I think that they're going to be bullied into having basic competence in the last month of the season. I, I, I deeply regret saying this. I think everybody knows either, either they're going to get fired, they're going to make changes or, or they know they're going to get fired and they just, they just calm down a little bit. I don't know what it is. Oh man. But something's like- going to happen. I don't think they can hit rock. I think they already hit rock bottom. You're like one of those. And we're gonna get Bitcoin. a dead cat bounce. Are you familiar you're, you're, with the yeah, dead cat bounce? That, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna refer it to stocks. You're one of these yeah. buy the dip people. Uh, I'm gonna buy the Bitcoin. It can't get any worse. Can't get any worse than that. And then you've lost the farm. And poor Mama Clark. She's like, oh Kevin, oh, why gosh. did you bet the farm on Ferrari? It's a great oh, impression no. of your mum, by the way. It is. It's yep. a wonderful one. Um, you don't no no sim work needed there. Um, we have a listener question that's related to this, and I oh, want to, I want to yeah, get to let's it. Do it. Uh, is George Russell having the second best season for a driver this year? No. What's the justification for that? I mean, he's he's doing okay, and he's picking up results. But yeah. Where's, what second? That's a big who's, claim. Second who, best driver on the grid. Second best season. No. On the grid. Who's having? Who who is then? Well, I would okay. So this is going to sound disparaging to George Russell because he's doing very well and he's picking up good results. But crazy porpoising experiments aside, he's been consistently behind on race pace to his teammate, which is fine. His teammate's very, very good. But you could factor that in. You could say for someone in his first season in a top-ish team against a seven-time world champion, it's looking pretty good. Like, you know, a better comparison mm-hmm. than Bottas. But I think if you're going to be considered up there, you, you can't just simplistically look at the points and the, the pure statistics and results. You would be hard-pressed to say, well, George Russell is looking like the better Sunday driver between him and Lewis Hamilton. So therefore, 
to be second, Hamilton would be having to have the best season. To counter that and argue against myself slightly, has he made less mistakes than Hamilton? Hamilton's actually made a couple this season against Alonso. You would say that is a mistake. Apparently, we just heard this from the Dutch Grand Prix. On the restart, he was in the wrong engine mode. And that's a very Mm -hmm. similar mistake to the Baku break magic, break bias mistake. Definitely goes down as an error. But Russell has been erratic as well. Russell has, you know, he had that coming together at Silverstone, that uh, terrible crash with, with, with Joe and Gasly. And I think that I put that down on, on George Russell. He's made a few errors like that as well. So no, not at all. I wouldn't, I would say there's definitely drivers who've had a better season than George Russell. Hmm. Well, you know, listener Dakota just doesn't think so. That's all. Hey, just we e- got the email uh, Kevin at the ringer. <laughs> the, um, we did get uh, like five versions of the same question, which is should Williams leave Latifi in Italy? I yeah. don't think that would, he, he is a billionaire. He could get back from Italy. I don't okay. think that would, that would accomplish what, <laughs> uh, what they think. He could show up at Williams HQ the next day. Okay. Well, let's, let's Google Latifi's net worth and see what that comes up with. Cause you're right. He has probably got his own, his, his own plane. Um, but his dad is reported to have a net worth of 2.5 billion. And that is an awful lot of, I mean, an awful uh, lot on, of crisps. On, on the F1 grid, that's actually lower <laughs> half, I think. No, I think, I think that's still pretty high. 2.5 <laughs> billion. So they, they're obviously locked into a contract for the rest of the season. But it's got to be depressing. As nice as he seems, and I'm sure he's put in an earnest effort on merit, let's be absolutely clear, Nicholas Latifi does not mer- merit that spot on the grid. No. Especially when you've just seen Latifi do that. I think it was a huge moment. As soon as they said Latifi was driving this weekend, Latifi had to know that so much of his reputation w- was, was on the line. You've got to be a reserve driver jumping in. If you don't, a driver who hasn't had a competitive combustion engine underneath him for several, several seasons, obviously, you know, Formula E. Mm-hmm. But that was critical for Latifi today. He would have gone away from the weekend going, that didn't look good. That didn't look good. And you have to wonder how much pride and ego you know take a place in these things you know how long are you willing to be in f1 and take a kick in from george russell be shown to not be on the pace of alexander albon and then have a guy come in on saturday yes a very talented guy but also show you up that's got to be i'm, I'm not sure i personally would want to turn up for work on monday is that is that harsh so i've made this same argument before to other people who've appeared on the show saying, if you're Latifi and you realize that you don't have it, you don't have the mm. race pace. He must have the, realized by now. The broadcasters yeah. are, are kind of making fun of him openly in a way that they don't really for a lot of F1 drivers. And I think that I'd say, you know what I'd like to be with my $2.5 billion? The best team principal in the world. Or I just want to run Extreme E every couple, mo- couple months or do Le Mans yeah. and just show up or do whatever. And the response I get, uh, Michael Bauman has said this, Spencer Hall has said this. If you got billions of dollars, you would just want to go vroom vroom. And you're not really thinking about no, whether or not you're true. behind. Like, it, I, you're in a rocket ship. You get to pay to drive around a rocket ship around Monza, even though there's a chicane there and you hate it. Uh, some people do find uh, driving a rocket ship around Monza <laughs> something worth paying for. Yeah. How do you sleep at night, like, at night Latifi, on a, on a bed? <laughs> on a mattress stuffed with money, surrounded by all the delights the world has to offer. So the counter to that, I guess, would be they would be fed belief from the Junior Series. 
and also that he is is a very good driver, but this is F1. There's plenty of series he could go and be uh, uh, fighting amongst the top, fighting for titles. The bar has been set by Lance Stroll, though, because Lance Stroll, mm-hmm. I think, would be performing the same early on in his career, but through coaching experience, hard work, and the most unprecedented of opportunities within motorsport. No one's ever had that kind of opportunity in motorsport before. And the time to get up there, Stroll has shown that he can be a useful part of a team. Like he, Stroll's a reasonable number two driver now. If I needed a number two driver for a young talent in my Formula One team and Stroll was going cheap and bringing money, it's almost perfect because he has an understanding of Formula One. He'd be a reasonable baseline. He doesn't get himself into loads of crashes. That's fine. So Latifi's, the Latifi's might be looking at the Stroll model and saying, well, that's where we need to be. But unfortunately, Stroll was going up against Sorokin. You know, he was going up against, let's just say, less talented drivers than George Russell, Albon, and Nick DeFries, whereas Latifi has been shown up consistently. What are you watching? The next race is October 2nd. What are you watching in the Formula One world for the next couple of weeks, Benders? I've got a DVD that I got given to me because we're going through our house. We're moving house. And I found an unopened DVD, which is the Senna documentary. And I have never seen it. I've never seen it. It got given to me not long after it it got made. But, you know, I was still too sad about Ayrton Senna to watch that because he was like a hero growing up. And it was like such a weird day of motorsport watching it that I've just rejected all Ayrton Senna content, uh, content. So I've never sat and watched that Senna DVD. So maybe it's time. Maybe I've got, I've got enough, to, hopefully I've got enough distance from it now to watch that. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have a midweek show in a couple weeks. Um, we will see everybody on the Sunday, the Sunday audience. Uh, we will see them after Singapore where maybe we'll be talking about Max Verstappen being crown champion. <laughs> maybe you will have to wait a week. Uh, this has been the Ringer F1 show. Follow Spanners. At Spanners Ready on Twitter. That's where you can channel all of your anger towards him about conspiracy theories. Do it. About, about the fact that it, the, the guy who thought that George Russell had the second best season, just, just <laughs> take it up with Spanners. Just go D- there at Spanners Ready. DMs are open, Kev. DMs are open. Open, man. Yeah. Come at me. I have a full, but the, they go, if, they don't follow, if you don't follow them, they go in like a folder, right? Uh, yes, and also I found out that my filter for what is marked as offensive DMs is actually like uh-huh. way too strict. So I went through that and I just caught up on like six months worth of messages. So if you recently got a message from me and you go, why has he responded to a DM from May? That's why, because it had gone into that folder. But I'm all over it now. Uh, that folder, it's real hit and miss. I'll tell you that. I check it about <laughs> once a week and there Take is a-, a big discrepancy as far as good and bad because there's Take some a deep crazy breath. people in this world. And, 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 and I cover multiple sports, and so you get you kind of get a, a nice temperature of the people who just want to abuse you from different angles. It's, uh, it's a wonderful experience. All right, we'll be back. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for production help. This has been the Ring Ref One Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.